Our second reading this morning uh, is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 16 through 24 uh, in the ERV version. You'll find that there in uh, your bulletins. Always be full of joy. Never stop praying. Whatever happens, always be thankful. This is how God wants you to live in Christ Jesus. Don't stop the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't treat prophecy like something that's not important. But test everything. Keep what is good. And stay away from everything that is evil. We pray that God himself, the God of peace, will make you pure, belonging only to him. We pray that your whole self, spirit, soul, and body will be kept safe and be blameless when our Lord Jesus Christ comes. The one who chose you will do that for you. You can trust him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, I ask that you be present uh, with us this morning. We thank you uh, for uh, the opportunity and the privilege to gather in public worship. Um, we ask that you would um, send us your Holy Spirit. We pray that uh, your Spirit, which inspired the words of Scripture, that uh, that, that same Spirit might illuminate our minds and uh, make our hearts receptive to what it is that you would have us here this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, Christmas is just two weeks away. It is the world's uh, biggest party. It is the planet's biggest celebration. We Christians, of course, we, we love Christmas. Christmas and Christian almost sound the same because they are both rooted in Christ. We Christians love Christmas. At church, we pull out the decorations. We organize and perform Christmas pageants in normal years. We sing our Christmas music. We have special Christmas worship services. Christmas is a grand and glorious ending to the year, even a difficult year like 2020. And we love it. We love Christmas. But non-Christians love Christmas too. They love the secular version of Christmas, the Christmas without Christ. Christmas is huge, even for people who don't believe in Jesus, even for people who think the whole virgin birth thing was just a lot of made-up nonsense. For non-Christians, all this stuff about God becoming a baby born to a virgin, well, that's, you know, primitive, weird, and embarrassing. Not the sort of thing that we modern people go in for. You know, we people who believe in science. Some who describe themselves as Christians have tried to demythologize the Christmas story. They call themselves Christians, but they take everything miraculous or supernatural out of the Bible. Thomas Jefferson was one of those people who wanted Jesus without the miracles. The result of that demythologizing is the story of Jesus is reduced to a few palatable pieties and secular sentiments. Peace on earth, after all, is a slogan that even an atheist can get behind. And goodwill toward all, who can argue with that? But for non-Christians, 
All of this talk about a baby who was born to call us to repentance. And remember that the very first word of Jesus' preaching was repent. All of this talk about a baby who is calling us to repentance and who is going to grow up to become a human sacrifice for our sins. Well, huh, that doesn't sound very Christmassy. And so secular people pick and choose among the themes of Christmas to make a dish that suits their own taste. They love the part of, they love part of the truth, but they're not ready to accept the saving truth. Christmas is the planet's biggest party. Believers and non-believers love Christmas. Christians and non-Christians go all out in celebrating and getting together and giving gifts and having parties and eating and drinking. There is no bigger celebration on this planet than Christmas, even in the time of COVID. So why all the fuss? When we celebrate, why do we celebrate? What is it that causes this spontaneous outburst of joy. Probably the biggest celebration in Philadelphia in recent memory was when the Eagles won the Super Bowl in 2018. It was a perfect culmination to a perfect season. People who don't even like football like Super Bowl 52, and we all celebrated. We celebrate because we win. We have a party because things turn out well for us. And if we've had a very long dry spell of not winning, then we celebrate all the more. The 2018 Super Bowl was our first win, and so the celebration was particularly large. The dry spell was over. Patriot fans, frankly, had become blasé about winning the Super Bowl. Ho-hum, another national championship. But for us... It was a thrill. And so our celebration was especially jubilant. The 2018 Super Bowl celebration came at the end of a flawless season with lots of little celebrations along the way as each game turned out the right way. And that big celebration at the end of the season came at a predictable time. We all knew when the deciding game would be played. We knew that we would either be dancing in the streets or crying in our beers before the night was over. And that year, the folks in New England got to do the crying. I think another factor in making celebrations big is that they celebrate victories that come at unexpected moments. The Super Bowl, of course, is predictable. Everyone knows its date. But other victories in life come at unexpected moments after prolonged struggle. Think about the celebration at the end of World War II. First the celebration when the Nazis were done, VE Day. And then later when the Japanese surrendered, VJ Day. The war had been long and hard and costly and deadly. The relief of hearing the good news that the war was over, that our soldiers and sailors and airmen could come home, it was overwhelming. And the celebration was spontaneous. It was a day our nation had waited for for a long time, and then it finally came, and so we celebrated. 
Christmas calls for that kind of celebration. Because after a long struggle, God's victory breaks in on planet earth. How long had the people of God waited for a Messiah to rescue them, to usher in a new age of peace? And then the Messiah appears. And so we celebrate. We celebrate because of the change in our fortunes. We had a long dry spell of not winning. We celebrate because of the relief from the long struggle. How long, O oh Lord, must we endure? This COVID crisis has been grinding. Nine months so far, we're all weary and worn out. Hundreds of thousands of deaths. Debilitating sickness for some. Loss of income for others. Isolation and depression for the whole planet. No one has been untouched by this crisis. Not even the healthy. Even as news of a virus begins to give us some hope, the latest restrictions are clamping down on us now at Christmas time. At the very time of the year when we want most to be with our loved ones. The very time of the year when by custom and tradition we extend open-hearted gestures of hospitality and fellowship with other people. It's been a cruel, hard year. Our nerves are worn thin. Our bodies are exhausted. Our communities are tattered and frayed. Now imagine the jubilation we will feel when the COVID cloud finally passes. I'm not sure that it's possible, but <coughs> imagine receiving the news that COVID is no more. Imagine the celebration that will break out. Imagine the parties that will be thrown. Who will you hug first? When our fortunes change, when bad turns to good, we celebrate. We rejoice. We lift up our hearts. And the longer we had to wait, the harder the grind, the bigger the celebration is when the relief finally comes. That's why... Christmas is such a big celebration because of all of the celebrations, because of all, because all of creation has been groaning for this Savior to come. The wait has been for generations and generations and then Christ arrives. Of course the skies were filled with singing angels. Our call to worship our Advent reading this morning came from Psalm 126. And our Old Testament reading came from the prophet Isaiah. And both of these passages give visions of a kind of pre-party. The party before the Christmas party. Both of these passages of Scripture are prophetic. Both of them look forward to the long-awaited day of relief and release. Both of them are written during the time of exile in Babylon. Psalm 126 is not a psalm of David. Matthew Henry believes that it was written by the prophet Ezra. What is clear is that this is a psalm anticipating the imminent release of the nation of Israel from captivity in Babylon. That happened more than 500 years before Jesus was born. For 70 years, the Israelites were slaves in Babylon. 
The Babylonians had invaded and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They had destroyed Solomon's temple where Yahweh had been worshipped for hundreds of years. They destroyed the wall which kept the population safe inside the city. They took all of the best people out of Jerusalem as slaves back to Babylon. And there the children of Israel longed for the day of their deliverance. They longed for the day when a Savior would come and rescue them from their cruel oppressors. They longed for the day when they would, as a nation, be able to return to their homeland. And then word comes. Word comes that their release will happen soon. It's like the first news that a vaccine has been created for a disease that's been terrorizing people. The prophet Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. The Lord has chosen me to tell good news to the poor and to comfort those who are sad. He sent me to tell the captives and the prisoners that they have been set free. He sent me to announce that the time has come for the Lord to show His kindness when our God will also punish evil people. He has sent me to comfort those who are sad. And whoever wrote Psalm 126 imagines the celebration that is about to begin. It will be like a dream when the Lord comes back with the captives of Zion. We will laugh and sing happy songs. Then the other nations will say, the Lord did a great thing for Zion. Yes, we will be happy because the Lord did a great thing for us. When the misery ends, the celebration begins. After years of trouble, after being in a bad place for so long, the relief was huge. If you hadn't won a Super Bowl in 51 years, then the news that you finally won is huge. For 70 years, these people had been stuck in humiliation and misery far away from home, and now the news comes that everything is going to change. God himself declares, I will take away the ashes on their heads. I will give them a crown. I will take away their sadness. I will give them the oil of happiness. I will take away their sorrow and will give them celebration clothes. That's what God says to his people. And the response of the liberated people, the response of the people who have suffered so much for so long, we hear their response in the song that they make in Isaiah's reading. It's a kind of song that you sing in a victory celebration. The Lord makes me very happy. I'm completely happy with my God. He dressed me in the clothes of salvation and put the victory coat on me. I look like a man dressed for a wedding. Like a bride covered with jewels. God has always been in the business of saving his people. And he has saved his people more than one time. The salvation from the clutches of the Babylonians was, you might say, a little salvation. He also saved the nation from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, another salvation. However, when Jesus comes, we have the great salvation. 
the total salvation, the final salvation. Jesus will save his people, not just from oppression and persecution. Jesus will save his people from sin and death. The rescues from Egypt, the rescue from Babylon, those were examples of how God saves his people from oppression and persecution. God saves his people from evil people sinning against them. It was sinful for Egypt to oppress and enslave the Israelites. It was sinful for Babylon to invade Israel and to take its people as captives. God hates sin and God promises vengeance against those who oppress and abuse others. God does hear the cries of the poor and the downtrodden. God does take up the causes of widows and orphans. That kind of salvation from oppression and persecution is much needed and it is sweet when it comes. But there's a bigger enemy out there. There is an enemy that is bigger than evil oppressors. And that enemy is death itself. What we ultimately need salvation from is death. And to be saved from death, we must first be saved from sin. And the sin that we must be saved from is not the sin of other people. Sometimes God saves us from the sins of other people. But the sin we must ultimately be saved from, the sin which brings us death, that sin is our own. When God saves us, finally and absolutely, He saves us from ourselves. Lots of people imagine that all of their problems are caused by other people and other forces and other institutions and other powers. Lots of people are delighted to hear about being saved from oppression and persecution that those others bring against us. But what we need most and most fundamentally is to be saved from ourselves, from our sin. Because it is our sin which will kill us. The little salvations, God saving us from the sins of other people, prepare us for the big salvation, God saving us from our own sin. Seeing that God is capable of delivering a whole nation out of Egypt and out of Babylon gets our minds ready for the idea that He can spring us from a more complicated dungeon, the dungeon that we've created for ourselves. When Jesus came and revealed Himself as the long-awaited Messiah, it seems like most people were looking forward to Him freeing them from the effects of the sins of the Romans. And the Romans were great sinners. They were cruel. They were murderous. They were sexually debauched. They were idolaters. But Jesus actually had something bigger 
in mind. Jesus came to save his people from the effects of their sin. This is the third week of Advent. Advent is the season that we prepare for the coming of Christmas. It's also the season in the life of the church when we think in a special way about the second coming of Jesus. Jesus came once in weakness as a servant. He will come again in power as a judge and as a king. As you are preparing for the coming of Christmas, whatever that's going to look like this year of COVID, are you also preparing for the return of Jesus? Jesus came once, and that began our salvation, but the work isn't done. The work of our salvation won't be complete until Jesus returns. And he said he would return like a thief in the night. At an unexpected time, he's just going to show up. And when he shows up, he will gather to himself those who belong to him. Those who have professed faith in him as Lord and Savior. Are you ready for the return of Jesus? Because like in the days of Noah's ark, there will be no second chances. Unbelievers won't see Jesus on the day of his return and then magically say, Oh, now I get it. Okay, I'll repent. I'll come to Jesus. If we refuse to follow Jesus now, when he returns, we will rail against him. In the time of Noah... Once the rain started, the door was closed. No second chances. Which is why it's important for us to be ready for Jesus today. Today is the day of salvation. Are you ready for Jesus to return? Because we never know when that day might be. And when he does return, that's when the really big party starts. The long, dark night of the rain of sin and death, it's going to be over. The long grind of laboring under the troubles of this life will be done. And the glory of the Lord will appear. The glory of Christ. And we will be transformed. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. We too. We who are in Christ. Will be transformed. And will receive bodies like Christ himself. And then the party is going to begin in earnest. Christmas is the biggest celebration on planet earth at the moment. But when Jesus returns, there's going to be a bigger party. Are you ready? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we love you. And we ask that you would whet our appetites for your return. We thank you for this Advent season in which we prepare our homes and our hearts to celebrate Christmas. And it, in which we turn our thoughts and attention to your second coming. Lord Jesus, you promised that you would be away from us for just a season and that you would return and that you would gather us up to yourself. Lord, may we look forward to that day. This we pray in your precious name. Amen.